Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. Listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location at Cards Against Humanity in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting behind the glass inside the old fish tank over there is Phil Me and Phil. How's it going, guys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we take a look at the villains in movies, and mm. not just any old villains, animated villains. Ah, this is a good one because animated villains sort of have that uh, license with the 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 artistic style to uh, be larger than life. Exactly. Animated movies in general have just an ability to showcase uh, much more creativity with right. their characters. Yeah. And so... They're not bound by the laws of physics. Exactly. Yeah. And so when it comes to villains, super villains, which we may get to, hmm. animated movies have quite a few good ones. I agree. I totally agree. We're doing this in honor of a movie we'll be going eye, eye for an eye for. A big animated film. Yeah, Toy Story. Toy Story 4? I can't believe it. Yeah. We'll good, talk about that. Good villains in that series. I agree. Uh, helping us do this, Matt, has we have a great guest joining us, do we not? We do. Tim Troy is with us. He's a filmmaker here from Chicago, and uh, he's got a lot of credits under his belt. We'll talk to Tim about all that yeah. good stuff. He's been on a lot of like just crews that on the big productions here yeah. in Chicago as well. I'm interested to talk to Tim about that. Besides that, we have even more going on. Do we not, Phil? Oh, yeah, we talked about it a little bit. Well, we're also going to be going eye for an eye on Toy Story 4 tonight. And we have two reviews this week, potentially the best movie of the year and the worst movie of the year, Men in Black International and The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And, mm. and we'll get to which one is which. Yeah. I wonder if the Jawheads can guess right now. It's a tough call. <laughs> I don't know. Very tough. Uh, also, since we are going eye for an eye on Toy Story 4, I thought this is a good time to be playing... Buzz and Woody movie trivia. Oh, no. What did you do, Ryan? <laughs> what did you do? Yourself versus Tim in Buzz and Woody movie trivia. I don't want to know exactly what that means, but okay. Oh, it's going to be a fun fun trivia. Is it movies with Buzz or Woody in the title? Well, we'll see. Okay. That's all I'm saying. All right. Buzz and Woody movie trivia. Okay. Also, June is Tilda Swinton month. We've been enjoying this celebration of one of our finest actresses. Indeed. So let's keep that going, Phil. Yeah, this week's Cinema Jaw Tilda Swinton fact. Tilda Swinton was born into a Scottish nobility family. Her father was a major general and formerly headed the Queen's Household Division. I mean, really? she, she could have just been uh, hanging out in court, but she decided to lose her talents upon the world. Wow. We're learning a lot about Tilda Swinton. I didn't know that. Did you? No, I had no idea. She's noble. She is. She has that air of nobility. The, the only thing I really knew about her going in before we started celebrating her is that she looks like Conan O'Brien. I so disagree with that. Well, she could play Conan in a biopic. You could see it, right, Phil? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right, I guess so. Good stuff. All right, Matt, let's get this show on the road, huh? Yeah. Without further ado, we bring in our guest, Tim Troy, as I mentioned, has worked on crews. It seems like with every big production that came through Chicago, he currently has a short film entitled 
Abby out on the festival circuit. Tim, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Glad to be here, guys. Do you go by Tim or Timothy? Uh, in credits, I go by Timothy, but everybody calls me Tim. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll call you Tim. That works. Yeah. As I mentioned, you uh, have worked on so many. When I looked up your IMDb page, you are on crew. It could be grip. It could be whatever. Mm-hmm. But you are, are listed in, in the crew of all of these large productions that have come through Chicago. And we're, we're talking like the Diversion series or whatever it was that came through because there's been some big movies. Um, how, how did you get involved in that? Is that through a, a specific company? that then is hired onto the film set, or is this just you individually going out to be on the crew? Uh, no, it's just me going out individually to be on the crew. Uh, I'm in the union in Chicago, and that the comparison I make usually is sort of like being a construction worker where you know, a company is hired to make a film, right, and then they subcontract out to, um, you know, to a foreman who then hires all the rest of the crew. So primarily I work in the grip department doing usually as a dolly grip so that's you know camera support and uh helping move the camera around i get to swing cranes around and and basically anytime you see a camera moving on screen i'm involved in that um in order to get hired on a job usually it's a key grip that hires you sometimes it'll be a dp sometimes it'll be a camera operator that like specifically requests for one dolly grip over another but generally speaking the key grip brings you in and that's where that comparison comes in you know it's like the foreman just hires the carpenters and the plumbers and everybody else did you ever have an experience on set where you you messed something up and maybe going back in the early days of your career because i'm sure by now you're you know absolutely wonderful professional but did you ever have that experience where you mess something up so badly you're like oh no i'm never gonna get hired again oh the one the first time i actually went out and i was really pushing a dolly on set it was one of the most nightmare scenarios i've ever been in in my life the we, I was doing a TV show, and I got called out, like, the day before. I had no idea what was going on. We came out, and we were supposed to be doing all these dolly moves around. I thought it was just going to be handheld, I think, when they called me. But there was no dolly track on the truck. There was nothing else. So I was, like, in this huge panic. They had to call the rental house and bring everything in the last minute. And then, I'm, you know, you're behind the eight ball at that point, and you're just panicked all day long. Uh, and to top it off, you know, I'd never done any of this before and we're supposed to be doing these really silky, smooth, perfect camera moves. And I was, I was beside myself. Herky jerky. No, I, the, the moves came out smooth, but it was like trying to do master shots for a TV show where, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to get a scene Well, they were, you know, they wanted to do like nine different spots. The camera goes up, the camera goes down, cameras back and forth all along the track and trying to get this whole scene covered in it. And for somebody that's new to this and is already nervous, it just was, it was a lot. It was a nightmare, huh? Yeah. Now, just some of the credits, uh, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. which which shot here, just a few scenes, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't that large of a production. They were here for about a month, but I only did a couple of days on it. I was uh, like an additional grip that they, they pulled in a couple of days. Um, as I mentioned, Divergent, which mm-hmm. shot entirely in Chicago, which was pretty yeah. cool. Um, and then also the TV show Chicago Fire and, and so forth. Yeah, I did the pilot for Chicago Fire when they were in town, um, and that was that was a really cool experience. We got to do all those scenes in the fire, and I, you know, they had to put me in a whole fire suit because we're right there next to all the the flames. It's me and a camera operator and a boom guy, and that's probably it because the focus puller's outside the room even. So it's just us. Nobody else is foolish enough. How does he pull More less, focus yeah. from outside the room? Is it a remote control? Yeah, he's it's on a remote control and a monitor, and that's usually how they do it there's huh. still some guys that need to be close to the cameras but a lot of the focus pullers now are 
at least removed so they're not right next to it. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't know that. So then you're also probably, once you're uh, working on these movies, there's a lot of crew working mm -hmm. on. So you get a lot of connections. Um, do you then rely on some of those connections and friendships that you make when you turn to making your own short films? Very, very much so, yeah. I've, I have been very blessed in that every time I've made a short film, I've been able to call you know, the people that I work with every day, and most of them are just happy to do something different from you know, the daily grind. If you're on Chicago PD or something for 10 months a year, you, know, you just jump at a chance to, to step up and do something different, like somebody that's just working uh, like a second AC who's clapping a slate jumps up and shoots a movie or you know just goes to be a focus puller or somebody that's working props gets to do production design it, sure you know it's a chance to do something different and it's a chance to do something usually you know I'd like to think is fun right you, you get to do a horror movie or a sci-fi movie or something that you really right. wouldn't get to work on otherwise you get to sort of flex your creative muscle exactly that's fun now your latest film entitled Abby mm -hmm. is making the festival circuit yeah. I understand. And it's sort of a sci-fi thriller. Do I have that right? Yeah, it's very much a sci-fi thriller. Sell the jawheads on, on the premise of Abby. Okay, so the, the film is about a scientist who creates a biological computer, and that computer develops a virus. And the virus then jumps from the computer itself into his lab assistant, who's named Abby, and she goes a little crazy, and then mayhem ensues. And 10 minutes later, you, you uh, get to go through some twists and turns and hopefully some scares. It's such a challenge with, with short films, getting to, uh, you know, the, the three-act structure and having resolution within 10, 15 minutes, you know? I kind of love the short film structure. Not that it, I don't anticipate doing a feature at some point, but I love doing short films because you get in and you get out and you're done, and it, it really forces you to be economical in your storytelling, right? There can't be any fat in a short film because people can just turn them off or they, they will get bored of them and you don't feel like you're going to have that long payoff in a, in a feature. Like, if you're building towards something slowly in a short, people, are, I think they start to get, feel like you're wasting their time. Right. You know? How short is this short? They're, yeah. they're glancing at their wrists. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think from a filmmaker standpoint, you know, we have a lot of filmmakers on here that talk about making a feature-length film, be it, you know, some type of, uh, you know, fiction story or even a documentary, and they talk about how, long it takes because they're trying to raise funds for the movie it's in, independent yeah. and i think if i was that director i couldn't do that because that that process is so drawn out to get from the start of it to the completion of your your baby if you will where with a short film at least you're in control of that right you, you feel from the start to the finish it, it's done and it's yours yeah i mean you can definitely get through a short a lot faster than you can get through a feature uh it i say that after knowing that Abby took us the better part of a year and a half to actually do, oh, like we just after I said this, yeah. I mean, I've done shorts that you know we've put together in six months or eight months, and from like start to finish. But Abby, we spent a lot of time on the script because it's so complicated, and and we wanted to get all of the the elements right about it. So before we even started casting or started pre-production, myself and and Dan McGuire, who wrote the thing, uh, we worked on it for the better part of a year. Um, we spent most of our festival tour of Ding Dong, the last horror film I made. Uh, just basically, we were in hotel rooms, you know, waiting to sc for screenings to start. Sure, sure. And we're like batting ideas back and forth and tossing notes at each other, mm -hmm. you know, working through the script. Other than the, the writing process, which she said took about a year, uh, what single part of the process took you the longest once you got to photography? 
took the longest or felt yeah. the longest? Well, um, either, both. <laughs> there's a there's a scene, a couple of scenes in the movie which we shot in a working server room, which if anybody ever has the opportunity to shoot in a working server room, I would tell them don't, because it's just it was hot, it was crowded. You know, we we were in a room that was maybe nine feet square with. 20 people all trying to jockey in to get the same things done. We had lighting effects. We had stunts. We had practical blood work. Is that why our website went down a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> it might have been, yeah. yeah. We, it might have been the residual effects of, of shooting Abby. Um, we worked with a place called the XSBB out of Naperville, and just phenomenal. I called him up out of the blue. He had no idea who I was. Uh, my production designer just found his company out of, uh, Pulled him out out of, of an hat. RSS feed, basically, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, he was just crawling along Craigslist, Craigslist and found it. And I called Brian up and said, hey, you know, I've got this short film I want to do. Can we come up there? He's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was that simple. I was like, okay. And then, you know, we show up on set and we've got a grip truck and 30 people trying to cram into his stuff and laying all kinds of weird biological goop all over his things. And he was just, oh, this is, this is different. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I hope you invite him out to like the premieres I've and sent, stuff. Yeah, I've, okay, I sent good. him uh, messages when our, our film was premiering and I sent him a, a link to the um, to the film when it was done and invited him to the cast and crew screening. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. It's people like that, Ryan, that make Absolutely. filmmaking possible. And, and speaking yeah. of uh, premiere, where can the Jawheads anticipate uh, maybe seeing this movie? Are, are, are there festivals coming up that uh, it is playing at? Definitely. The next festival screening we have on the books is Windy City International, and that's in Chicago. It's in middle of July. I think it's July 17th, but don't quote me on that. Um, maybe we can fish tank that. Throw yeah, it in the fish tank. For sure. And then it's also playing Gen Con in Indianapolis. And oh, nice. Yeah, we've got a couple more. We've got a lot more submissions out, so we should see some more acceptances, I hope. Cool. And we'll put the trailer right in the show notes for Please. this episode. Yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, for the Jawheads that want to follow you or follow the film along online, where's the best place to do that? Uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook really easily. I respond to messages and everything there. It's just Timothy Troy at Facebook. You know, uh, And then the film itself, the... Website URL is facebook.com slash shortfilmabby. Shortfilmabby. Mm -hmm. Cool. Awesome. We'll include those links, too. Yeah, yeah, please. We like to end these guest interviews with a silly cinema cue. Phil? Yeah, so, Tim, uh, since it's Tilda Swinton Month, we like to ask uh, on-brand uh, questions. Uh, so my question for you, Tilda has been cast to play a lot of roles in different movies based on literature, whether it's books or comic books. She was in Narnia. We need to talk about Kevin. <clears throat> uh, if you have one character from a, a book that you really love and you think Tilda Swinton would be good at, who would you say that would be? Oh, boy. Uh, i got to think about that for a sec. Um, Deep questions here I know these, Phil. these used to be silly. I know. <laughs> you know? Now they're thought-provoking. They are. I've got to change that up. <laughs> you know? Throw it over to Phil. Phil, you got any thought-provoking questions for the guest? <laughs> That's way too much pressure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite book ever is Ender's Game, and this oh. popped into my head once. You know, they made it into a movie, but... I'm, I'm not happy with how it not turned satisfied. out. It really no. wasn't. It didn't do the book justice, right? Uh, I would actually like to see her in a gender swapped role and play the part that Harrison Ford played of Colonel <gasps> Graff. I think wow. she could nail that. Wow, that is that is thinking outside the box, and I like that pick. And as we talked about last week, for our uh, yeah. our fact, Tilda Swinton has played men before, right? So, yeah. as a matter of fact. You said that there was only that one role that you could find? That was known. That was known. She plays Gabriel in Constantine, who is gender nonspecific. True. There you go. Hmm. Very cool. Good one. One other thing I wanted to mention was just last episode, we had the uh, fabulous actress, 
Claire Cooney on mm-hmm. the podcast, and she is Abby in your film. She is. So. That was a, it was a very small world moment. Like yeah. I, I saw her name come up on my podcast when I was listening to you guys last week. I'm like, oh, that's that's awesome. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, we've got you know stuff about Claire. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it Claire is, awesome. is phenomenal. Like if She's people a- haven't seen her short film Runner, they should see that. And I, I cannot sing her praises enough. She she came into the audition for Abby and absolutely nailed it from moment one. There was there was just no question that she had it. You know, she's a born storyteller and had that character down. Awesome. Yeah, she she makes an impression. She's awesome, for sure. Somebody to know. Totally. All right, Tim is sitting in on this entire jaw. He has his top five animated villains picked out. I'm excited for this list. Um, also, speaking of, since we brought up last week, I did want to mention that I had made a mistake on the show, and I've already heard from quite a few Oh, is this a, a new corrections segment? Yeah, so before we uh, roll on to Eye for an Eye, I had messed up during Rocket Man. I was all excited uh, talking about Rocket Man. We uh-huh. were discussing the actress who portrays his mom in the movie, and I confused these two actresses, and I've done it in the past, and I did it again last week on the show. I said Jessica Chastain when, in fact, it was Bryce Dallas Howard. Mm. Can you see the confusion at all? Yeah, a little bit, for sure, and I didn't Some correct reason, you, so. No. Yeah, sometimes it just flies off and totally miss it, and then yeah. Phil misses it. He doesn't catch it, and then next thing you know, I'm hearing from the jawheads, so I made a mistake. There it is. It well, only you happens know, it, every once in a while. It takes man. a big man to own up to it his does. mistakes, Ryan. So well done. Well couple done. Couple years, couple years down the line, I'll probably have another one. Yeah, it happens every once in a decade, <laughs> right? Good times. All right, brings us to Eye for an Eye. Yes, this week's Eye for an Eye, Toy Story 4. When a new toy called Forky joins Woody and the gang, a road trip alongside old and new friends reveal how big the world can be for a toy. The film features voice work from Tom Hanks, Tim Allen, Joan Cusack, Keanu Reeves, among others. It is directed by Josh Cooley, who is making his directorial debut. However, he did write the screenplay for Inside Out. Rye, we throw it over to you, pal. Oh, boy, this is actually a, a, a somewhat of a difficult one. I really feel like I, I felt when uh, Jason Bourne went back to play Bourne on the fourth time because... You mean you mean Matt Damon. I'm sorry, who did I say? You said Jason Bourne. Okay, I mean Matt Damon went to play See, Jason Bourne. I'm doing Bourne. the Insta corrections now. There you now. go. When, when Matt Damon went back to play Bourne, I felt, and I said it here on the jaw, that the Bourne trilogy of the Matt Damon ones was perfect. And I didn't want to see him come back and tarnish it. And I'll never forget, I, he, he ruined almost a week's night of sleep because I was so upset. You were really how, pissed. How bad that movie was. It stunk. And I feel the same, that we're right on that, that line with Toy Story. Perfect trilogy. Maybe one of the best, if not the best, animated trilogy of all time. And now what? they they got to give us a fourth? But then they add Keanu Reeves, right? And, and I, I can't... I can't <laughs> That's go, the selling point for you? I can't go against Pixar. I, I'm excited for Keanu to be in this one. Uh, it's a slight, slight interested. Matt? First of all, I mean, they, they already had some, some problematic names with Buzz and Woody, but now they're adding Forky? I mean, the, I just see the memes, you know, looking down the highway there. I don't know, man. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, do we need another Toy Story? No, probably not. But I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. Tim? I have had the same story three times now with Toy Story movies. You know, Toy Story 1 is perfect. Then they do Toy Story 2, and you're like, oh, why is Pixar doing a sequel? They shouldn't be doing sequels. And Toy Story 2 comes out, and it's arguably better than Toy Story. You know, anybody who doesn't cry at Jesse's song, I, I don't think has a soul. So, um, <laughs> you know, you... And then they do it again with Toy Story 3. Like, there's no reason that they should make this movie. Mm-hmm. And they do it, and 
again, they just hit you so hard. It's such a great movie. Maybe the best of the trilogy. Maybe, yeah. And then Toy Story 4 comes out, and there's nothing in the trailers that make me want to see this movie, but I still have to go interested, you know? Over to our animated expert there inside the fish tank, uh, Mr. Pixar himself, Phil. Uh, I'm on board with everything that you guys have been saying. Uh, it's it's like a little bit of Ryan's superhero fatigue, but with Toy Story, right, uh, where you uh, don't want anything more from him, but I'm kind of happy that I'm getting it. Uh, and my main reasoning is because I swear to God, the man has never made a bad film score. Randy Newman is back, baby. <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Four for four. Four interested for Toy Story 4. But it, on point, one more thing I did want to say that uh, Tim brought up the fact that like Pixar shouldn't be making sequels because they're so creative, right? That in some way we know how long these movies take from, from page to screen and how many man hours of animation and the story that it feels like, well, they're in a way just wasting the idea of, of what could be out there for something like another Inside Out. It's like they're know? wasting a release date, right? Yeah. 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 So in some way, that bothers me, too. But we get to see another choice. Uh, I don't know. I'm really torn on this one. I really am. And do you think that would bother you if it was like a WALL-E or like an Up sequel? Because that's my thing. Mm. We've had Toy Story sequels before. Yeah. There's other movies that we love. That I, I'd rather them just stay away from the sequels. I really would. I mean. What, no Cars 2, man? Oh, for sure, hey. no. Hey. One of the well, best movies of all time. They're so creative when it seems like they're, they're going to fail. Like, I remember thinking Inside Out. I, I couldn't think that that was going to be a success, and it was almost my movie of the year that year. Just adore the movie. It's a masterpiece. Ratatouille. I remember thinking, what are they doing with Ratatouille? This is so stupid. Talking animals, yeah. Yeah, and then I go see it, and I'm like, oh, my God, they nailed it, you know? They so do. that's yeah. what I want out they, of them. They have had one of the best runs, I think, of any studio ever, mm-hmm. and it's it's just really impressive what they put together, and that's what makes it. That's what makes you so hesitant to, to see them do this movie, and you're like, I... It's so dangerous. You don't want to see them fail, and you're just you're scared for that. I think that might be the only time I have that feeling when I go see a movie. Like I'm I'm rooting for this studio to win, and I'm so scared they're not going to. But they always tend to surprise you. Hmm. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, that's our review next week. We're going on so, Monday. Yeah. No doubt. All right. Speaking of new movies, Matt, um, Men in Black, a film that was very fun, visually entertaining probably lacking substance, came out in 1997. Its inevitable sequel followed in 2002, and then the series took 10 years off, and in 2012, we got Men in Black 3. What was shocking was how good the third film actually was. The bad news, this triggered a fourth film with none of the major stars of the first three. Could Men in Black International sidestep the usual Hollywood pitfall of the unwanted spinoff? I put on a pair of black Ray-Ban sunglasses and hit the theater to find out. We've never faced a threat like the Hive. They can take the form of anyone. I haven't seen that before. Even our own agents. Do we have a plan? You know, sometimes you have to trust your gut. Taking over for Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones are Chris Hemsworth, Agent H, and Tessa Thompson, Agent M. The two have previously worked together in the Marvel films Thor Ragnarok and Avengers Endgame. The story opens with Agent M as a little girl who witnesses the men in black blanking the minds of her parents. 
flash forward some 20 years, and she is desperately trying to join the group of black suit wearing agents. After a somewhat amusing interview with Emma Thompson's Agent O, she gets her first assignment. She is paired up with Hemsworth's Agent H. Together, they track down an alien who feels his life is in danger. It is. But why? Well, it has something to do with a secret weapon he passed off to Agent M, and it turns out, Matt, there are multiple people and or aliens interested in this weapon. To be honest, the plot is a weak point, as is the incredibly flat writing. Men in Black movies are supposed to be funny. I did not laugh at all. The chemistry between Hemsworth and Thompson feels unauthentic, forced, and tired. Hemsworth plays it off as a light version of Thor. Uh, Liam Neeson also is in the cast, and you can pinpoint exactly where his character is going to go within minutes of the film. One highlight in regards to the cast, Camille Nanjiani, who voices an alien called Pawnee. His voice was so perfectly suited for the character that you could not help but smile when the guy talked. As for the effects, which this series is known for, bland. Same goes for all the action sequences, bland. If the filmmakers thought the only fresh thing they needed to do was pair up a guy and a girl instead of two guys, they thought wrong. Men in Black International was a letdown. It had me searching for a neuralizer to erase my memory. I'm not happy. That's exactly what I was going to ask you, if you wanted to get your memory erased. I mean, Thor and Valkyrie, not so much. Yeah, I, it, you really can tell that Marvel writing of those characters it shines, because you see when it doesn't here. Wait, wait, wait. What did you just say? Yeah, right. The Marvel writing with those characters does shine compared to when you see it here because it works with Thor and you're laughing a lot with Chris Hemsworth and here it just is off. It's like, well, this isn't really funny at all. And when it you're sucks. in a packed theater and there's supposed to be jokes on screen and it's a, it's just a silent house, you know, it's, it's not going well. Well, sometimes those press screenings can be a tough crowd though. Sometimes. Um, I mean, I think I laughed in unintentional moments a couple of times. I rolled my eyes a lot for sure. But just disappointing. Favorite scene? Uh, I did have a, a couple of things that I did want to highlight. Okay. Besides uh, Camille, um, he was great in, in, as the Pawnee. But there was the look of the two aliens that are on the search for this weapon. They take on like a, an energy-like form, and it almost looks like a, a red space. Uh, really interesting look on film. But... As good as I want to praise how cool those two aliens looked on screen, what exactly they could do and what their powers, again, wasn't very fleshed out. Like, I wanted to know a little bit more about these guys because they were actually very interesting. We don't get that. Um, so that was a highlight and somewhat of a letdown at the same time. Bummer. Yeah. What about what sucked the worst? Uh, all right. I hate when movies try to be like, over-the-top clever in a particular scene, and it just doesn't work. And such is the case... Oh, uh, really? Because I love that. <laughs> such is the case here when Agent H and M uh, get into a gunfight and their car is off to the side. 
and they start to pull out guns from all parts of the car. Right. Some of this is in the trailer, like the hubcaps open and there's guns in there. Right. And it just keeps going. I think the very first time you see it, I'm like, oh, okay, there, there's there's guns inside the, the mirror. And right. So they got to hold so out. Yeah. But it's like they relied on this for a good five minute long scene. And it's really not that clever. You know what I mean? And it, it, you think it's leading up to some big joke and it really doesn't. Hasn't you know? James Bond been doing that for about 50 right. years? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it's not to mention all the guys like in the old west at the card table who hit the table and a gun slides out from under yeah. it you know i mean are you ever really going to beat desperado with the guns popping out of the guitar case no yeah never yeah did you see any influences here um besides the the men in black movies uh maybe something like a, a jupiter ascending <laughs> but not really i don't know it's tough not to just see a watered down men in black version you yeah, know? and it, this is a movie that should be so creative when it comes to the different aliens, and, and even those were all a letdown. You know, there's moments where obviously. Do you she, get the cigarette smoking guys? She no, but you you get a, a couple of throwbacks without those guys. Right, you have to have them. You get a couple of throwbacks, but it's nothing like wow, that was a payoff. I, I don't even know if there is such a thing as fan service with. Men in Black. Is it really that good of a movie to have fan service to right. the old? It's it, like, uh, you, you don't hear the nerd saying, I'm going to the Men in Black con this weekend. Right. Yeah. It, it's somewhat of a shallow series already. You know, it wasn't, there's no major substance to these movies. So I don't I know. I like it would make a better TV show than a movie series. You know, mm-hmm. you, could, you could just dive into things on short bursts. Yeah. You know? no, You're I probably agree. right. Case of the week kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That would probably be better suited than a blockbuster like this you got a quote movie poster quote movie poster quote uh oh really quick what i did learn is that uh even alien women have a thing for chris hemsworth that makes sense yeah nobody nobody can get away from this guy's charm uh, charm charisma and his his good looks yeah so he walks into a room i don't care if you're an alien people want this guy yeah that's a fact uh my movie poster quote right on the poster it says see book book smart instead well done. I'm giving this a half a jaw. A half wow. a jaw. That is the lowest grade of the year. I, I, I just was not a fan, Matt. Well, yeah. Clearly. Now I really want to see it. <laughs> I hope I don't steer people to, steer, to see it because of my bad review. That's what Redbox is for. Yeah, true. This is a rental. Mm, precisely. All right. Let's get to our top five list. We went eye for an eye on Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. Animated villains, and I said this right before we started recording, and I'm going to throw it over to you, Tim, was that I felt when I came up with the list, I'm lacking in a couple of uh, movies uh, animated that I think probably have some really good villains. So I felt my list was kind of pedestrian, if you will, but how did you feel about coming up with your list? Easy? Fun to come up with? Uh, It was definitely a lot of fun to come up with. The, The challenge in it is trying to find a list that's not five Disney villains. Yes, they they true. dominate this real fast, and I'm not a big anime guy, so I didn't even have that to draw on. So, um, but I think I got a couple that definitely aren't Disney. Good, you're, you're getting to start it with your number five. Too. I got a few Disney's. Uh, well, I'm going to start with Cruella Deville. Brilliant, strong one right off the yeah. bat. You know, uh, Cruella Deville, she's going to skin puppies to make a coat. I mean, how? That's evil right there. Mm-hmm. You, and she's got such a scary look to her and these, like, this wild eyes that they draw her. Disney does the wild eyes maybe better than anybody else with the little circles that, that go all nuts like mm-hmm. when, when they're really crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she just looks like a skeleton that grew hair, you know? It's, it's really good character design. She's voiced really well. It's just, and she's one of those villains that stick in the back of your brain as someone to be scared of. And it gave us one of the best Mr. Burns songs on The Simpsons. So. 
True. She's like uh, an archetype, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you look at a movie like The Devil Wears Prada, and you see a lot of uh, Cruella oh, yeah. in that, that, that sort of fashion-forward power broker. But, you know, it's right there in the name, Cruella DeVille. If your name is DeVille, don't name your kid Cruella. In fact, just don't name your kid Cruella ever. Maybe you don't have kids at all. Yeah, true. All right, that swings it to me. And at number five, I have the villain from the first Shrek movie, voiced by John Lithgow, Lord Farquaad. Wow, I forgot about him. Did you? How could you forget about Lord Farquaad? He's not on my list. He's great. He (laughs) is hilarious. And I mean, listen, if if you're not familiar with the gingerbread man scene, just do yourself a favor and pull it up on YouTube right now. Pause the podcast and watch the, the gingerbread man scene. This interrogation is probably one of the funniest things I saw that whole year. You know, it's, it, and I love John Lithgow. It's, it's funny to think back how big Shrek was. It was huge. You know, once now there's been so many, but to think back to that first original Shrek, I mean, I remember getting it on DVD. I had saw it in the theater. I was a big fan of the movie. I really yeah. enjoyed it, you know? Well, it was the first thing DreamWorks did that really mm-hmm. hit, too, right? Right, yeah. as far as their Really their put them animation. on the map as far as animation goes. Right. It definitely did. Totally did. All right, my number five, I believe, is uh, DreamWorks animation. Phil, correct me if I'm wrong. But a movie we don't talk about uh, very often when we've brought up animated you, movies at all. If, if you say How to Train Your Dragon, I'm, no, I'm just going to leave the no, show. Okay. No. I'm going with, uh, whenever your villain is voiced by Will Ferrell, it's a good thing. I'm going with Megamind for my number five. You love this movie. Yeah, I don't, I don't bring it up, though, that much. But have you seen this? I still have never seen it. Have you seen it, Tim? I actually haven't seen Megamind, no. So here's the premise of Megamind is uh, Will Ferrell voices Megamind, and he's the uh, arch nemesis, the evil villain to Metro Man, who is voiced by Brad Pitt. And the movie opens up with this idea that these two were always going to have this battle. Like we've seen... Like Batman Joker, Superman Lex Luthor. Right? Yeah. Well, then he finally comes up with this master plan, which actually defeats Metro Man. And this is early on in the movie, so no spoiler here. Because the whole movie then is this idea that he realizes that his life's actually kind of boring when he can actually now control the entire city and world because he doesn't have to fight any you know, superheroes. And he ends up falling in love. There's comedy ensues after that. But that premise uh, of the movie that he defeats this guy and now he can just live his life as the master evil guy that he wanted to be and that's actually boring to him is quite funny. That is funny. It's almost like a Gru, right, from from Despicable Mm -hmm. Me. These came out right around the same time. Can we throw that in the fish tank? Either the same year or a year after each other. They were very similar. Um, One of those, you almost get the idea that the studios got pitched an idea and oh come up with this or something oh sure there's lots of that in hollywood Mm -hmm. yeah those deep impact armageddon years right yeah Yeah. right um all right we're into our fours okay uh this one's a hopefully a little more obscure uh i don't know if you guys have seen the secret of nim oh yes but there's a villain in there called jenner who's one of the rats but he's scheming against the other rats that are trying to you know get everybody out um his plan basically involves taking the house that they're moving, the, the Brisby house, and dropping it on Nicodemus, who's the leader of the rats, while there is a family of rats or a family of mice inside. And they're all going to drown in the mud when the, the thing hits the ground. So, you know, I think that's pretty villainous. He's evil. He's very evil. And doesn't he fight Mrs. Brisby with a sword at one point, too? He, I think he threatens Mrs. Brisby with the sword, and then the, the captain of the guard, I forget his name, comes yeah, and protects him. That's right. But, There's some, some great swashbuckling in yeah, that movie. And it's... It's just such a freaky movie, you know? It's one of those it's 80s weird. movies 
for kids that are so great because they give you just enough scares, like the great owls in there, and that that haunts so many kids' dreams. Um, Even Nicodemus is a little creepy. Yeah. Have you seen this one, Ryan? Yeah, I have. And I was actually going to bring up the point that, do you think that's because we were younger when we saw these, or was the animation just physically a little bit more scarier I think the then. animation is scary. I, I agree with you. It's, you know, Don Bluth definitely t- tapped into some some scarier stuff than Disney was going. They went they went kind of dark with those movies, and that's what makes them kind of exciting. Did he also do, oh, man, I'm blanking on the name of it now. The dark, not the dark crystal, um, the Black, Black Cauldron. Cauldron. He, oh. Throw it in the fish tank. Yeah. Black Cauldron was Disney, I can tell you already. It was okay. definitely Disney, but Don Bluth broke off from Disney, right? Oh, I see what you're asking. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. Throw it in the fish tank. See what he had to do with the, with the cauldron. That'd be interesting. It, the timing it? definitely would work because Cauldron was late seventies, right? Yeah. No, it was, I think in the eighties. Was it? Let's get that fact as well, Phil. <laughs> Filling them up, up in we'll there. We just have a whole episode about the Black <laughs> yeah. Cauldron now. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I lo- the books are fantastic. All right, that swings it over to me. And at number four, listen, I'm going Disney here, guys. Uh, I'm throwing in the one and only Captain Hook. Nice. He could easily top off somebody's list. He's scary, actually, too. Captain Hook is villainous, man. Mm-hmm. He is, he's, and he's got this panache, right? This swagger that I think Johnny Depp borrowed a little bit from when he created his pirate character. And uh, the fact that Peter Pan tell, says at one point that you have, or maybe it's Wendy, you have no mother. And that, I don't know why, just stuck in my brain. Like, a man with no mother, like, has no conscience. You know, like, that scared the crap out of me. That made Captain Hook way scarier than anything else. But his fear of the crocodile also makes him a bit laughable, so he's got the kryptonite. He's an interesting character. I agree. I haven't seen that in a long time, but it's a good one. He's got the sword and the the hook. He's awesome. All right, for my number three, I go to a a Wes Anderson animated film. This is your number four, isn't it? Yeah, my number four. Oh, okay. You said three. Oh, sorry, but that's because there are three bad guys as my number four. I'm speaking of the three... Uh, evil farmers in the fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, they're known as uh, Walter uh, Bogus, I think is his name, um, Bunce, and Bean. And these, uh, they're, they're turkey and apple farmers and a duck and goose farmer and a chicken farmer. And they are out to get uh, rid of uh, all these uh, animals. Especially Mr. Fox. And especially Mr. Fox. And their plan actually is to drown uh, these animals in cider. They're going to flood their their animals. What a way to go. <laughs> and it's quite the, the devious plan, but I, I, with Wes Anderson and his writing and his timing of it all, I, I love when they, they're talking about like uh, Franklin Bean and all these characters look like those grumpy old farmers that would just be annoyed by the, the rodents of the farm. You know, yeah. they, they just animated those guys so perfectly. And I think it's Bill Murray says it, or maybe it's George Clooney says like, He's, he's the most evil man alive, you know, talking about one of the farmers, and they show him on the phone, and it's great. Were you a fan of the Roald Dahl book as a kid? Not really. Oh, man. It's good. It's up there with James and the Giant Peach, for sure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of any of his, like, those weren't, what? like, what? weren't, like, my books, you know? You didn't like Roald Dahl? What the hell's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I'm not saying Char- I hated Charlie him. and the Chocolate I'm Factory? I'm not saying I hated him. I'm that's... just saying I didn't read all those books and love them. Oh, that's another one of those things that just scares the hell out of you when you're a kid you know yeah. those books get really dark too mm-hmm. james is- james and the giant peach also scary yeah the witches you're right mm-hmm. yeah all right well my Ryan, you're missing four. the boat you're missing my, the boat. my number four were the three farmers from fantastic mr fox into our threes we go okay 
so my number three is a little bit of a cheat because he's not really the official main villain of this movie, but I got to go with the Joker. Uh, and you slip him in through Mask of the Phantasm, which is the only theatrical Batman animated movie I believe we figured out. Um, for me, the animated series Joker is the definitive version of that. Mark Hamill does the voice, and he is he just nails the right mix of scary and funny that that makes you really fascinated by the Joker, right? He's deadly, but he's also funny. He's crazy, but he's smart. And it's that unpredictability that makes him both really fascinating and really scary. It was Mark Hamill, right? It was. Yeah. Even in the movie, it was Mark Hamill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And now now Mark Hamill's voicing the doll in uh, the new Child's Play movie. Ch- please, Ryan, Chucky. Oh, whatever it's called. You'll address it, him by his proper name. Is it in the new one? Or do they actually call him Chucky? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's Chucky, man. Is no. it? What the movie? The t- movie of the title? No, no, no. The new, the, the the new, new Toy Story. Uh, <laughs> Toy Story. The new Child's Play. Uh-huh. The doll is still called Chucky. Mm, but okay. but when you when the when he gets him from the store, I think it's my buddy. It's my buddy and okay. buddy with an I to, yeah. to join the yeah yeah the modern age. I hadn't, I hadn't heard him actually call him Chucky in the trailers yet. So I, I believe in some of the marketing material. I've seen the word Chucky. Okay. Hmm. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, the Joker was Tim's number three. I've not seen that movie. You should. I've never seen the Anim- Batman an- animated series either. So. I, the the uh, oh wow, that, it's really you good. You are missing out. I know. The, they are Everybody some of the best says. Batman stories ever told. Yeah, mm. for sure. Uh, Must and be streaming somewhere. I can probably I mean, catch it. On that's Netflix, where sir. that's where we got Harley Quinn from, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, probably a couple other characters as well. Paul Dini, his um, animation style was captured that uh, neo noir sort of uh, Art Deco 1940s Chicago look splendidly. It's, mm. Just great, and you're right. Some of the best Batman stories. Yeah. And I was just, I was just talking to somebody else about it, but th- you know, they actually recorded all of the music for that with a real orchestra. Like that was the only time they were doing that on a, on a TV show. Right, and a kids show at that. And it sounds like it. Like it just sounds great. Mm. Yeah. It's really good. It's a cut above. And the animated uh, film, probably. I mean, I would put it up there with the Dark Knight as maybe the second best Batman movie. Period. <laughs> I mean, serious, I've dude. Heard a lot of people say that, yeah. Wow. I mean, I'm not saying it's better than The Dark Knight, but it's number two for sure. What do you got? None of the other Nolan movies yeah, even come I like close. Those. Yeah, yeah, I like those. Not when you see this one. Mm. All right. That swings it to me at number three. Uh, I'll, I'll see if you guys can guess here. No one is as slick as him. No one is as quick as him. And no one's neck is as incredibly thick. <laughs> is it? It might be because I was researching villains before and i listened to all the disney songs recently but that is totally guessed on it's guessed on yeah i just love this guy i mean he is the epitome of of toxic masculinity right yeah and and i think is sort of a little ahead of his time right because now um in that is sort of the the topic du jour and and rightfully so that it's that's being addressed but this movie came out in the late 80s early 90s uh, we're talking beauty and the beast the original animated one and Gaston was sort of an odd character. You would expect a person like Gaston to be a hero, even if he is a little brash and, and uh, sort of self-absorbed. He would still be the, the, the Han Solo of the story, but sure. um, he sort of flips the script and is the other side of the coin where the hero is actually the villain. And just He was great, such a sleazebag. Yeah, in all honesty, I had him on my list, and I like that early on, he, he's a little bit lighter. It isn't that it, it, you see his full sinisterism until the last act, when, when he actually you know, gets everybody to go after the beast. That's when you're like, whoa, this guy is really 
really, really evil. He'll you know? stop at nothing to achieve right. his goals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that fight scene at the end, I mean, he's, you know, it's pretty hardcore. He's dirty. He is. Yeah. Nice pick at number three, Matt. Thanks, Ry. Wait until you hear my pick at number three. Uh, do tell. What if I was going to tell you, Matt, mm-hmm. that I was going to take your eyes and replace them with buttons? Oh, this is a good pick, Ryan. Yeah, it is. This Talk is a really good pick. Talk about evil. I'm talking about, uh, I, I think her proper name is the uh, Beldum. The Beldum, does she go by? Maybe. It's the other mother. The other mother. The other mother in the film Coraline. Brilliant. And I, again, this is one that I think kids maybe that grow up with Coraline will be talking in uh, years to come that say, that animation creeped me out. Because going back and looking at the other mother with these buttons for eyes, the entire look of her is a little creepy. It's oh, dark. Yeah. It's, it's a not really a little dark creepy. Film. It's, it's straight up. Creepy. It's yeah. very creepy. It and then, uh, and this isn't a spoiler, later on in the film, she's shown as sort of a, a spider-like creature Mm -hmm. yeah oh that's the worst dude this movie is straight up horror it's scary oh yeah i mean it's not even like horror for kids no it's horror it's horror for adults it's a horror movie i'll spoil my second pick because that's that's who i had for my number two and it's funny though because i was over my parents the other day and i came in and my my mom's watching tv with my niece and she's got Coraline on it. I'm like, what are you doing? This girl's six years old. This movie scares me you know (laughs) and it's just you're you're right that the the design of that character is so freaky and so scary, and Neil Gaiman came up with it, I think, right? Yeah. It's nightmare fuel, mm-hmm. pure and simple. Yes. No arguments. Love it. Yeah. It is nightmare fuel. Yeah, love it. That's my number three. That is that your number two, or do you, do you have an honorable mention that you want to fill in? Uh, yeah, I could throw an honorable mention in. Um, so I'll go back to Don Bluth, actually. And in American Tale, there's the, the kind of con man fat cat. His name, his name is Warren T. Rat. But he's actually masquerading as a cat. I, I guess I'll spoil the 30-year-old movie for kids now. Spoiler <laughs> yeah. alert. But, uh, yeah, he's run through his deeds in this movie, right? He sells Fievel to a sweatshop. He's exhorting all the mice in town. And then he decides to burn them all alive when they won't pay him. So I, I say that's pretty scary. I, I have no recollection of this character yet. I've seen An American Tale probably 15 times mm-hmm. as a kid. You just remember the Somewhere Out There song? I'm trying to forget it, man. <laughs> I liked the movie, though. Yeah, it's one of my favorites from a kid. From yeah, oh, kid. for yeah. sure. Me too. All right, uh, into our twos, and this is where I slot in Maleficent. And I'm the, the Angelina Jolie character was good, um, but I think the original Disney uh, villain from Beauty and the Beast is far superior. Not Beauty and the Beast. I'm sorry, Sleeping Beauty. Right. Sorry. The original Disney villain from Sleeping Beauty is far superior because she's just pure evil. There's some redemption in the Angelina Jolie character. We get a bit of a backstory that makes her sympathetic. There's no such thing going on in Sleeping Beauty. She's pure evil. She has the power to turn into a dragon. Uh, she curses Aurora with the, the sleep spell. Um, and, and she's just an all-around badass. Look at that hat. I mean, first of all, anyone who could pull off that hat... Deserves to be number two on this list. <laughs> it, I don't know why you're calling it a hat. They are horns, right? No, I think it's a head, a headdress. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, so. it, it does turn into horns when she becomes the dragon, mm-hmm. and and also one is sort of left to uh, interpret which is her true form a little right. bit, which is very cool. Yeah. So maybe they are horns. I don't know, but it's it's at least intended to look like maybe it's a headdress. I don't um, know. Let's talk about why she curses Aurora too, right? Let's let's do. It's just because she doesn't get invited to a one-year-old's birthday party. 
Like this <laughs> that is would all piss it, me off this too. This is all it takes to condemn a baby to to die, basically, at, at you know, 16 years in the future. Right. That's that's pretty downright petty. Yeah. It, it's not like there was an open bar, right? Well, I mean, maybe there was. <laughs> have you tried the hors d'oeuvres at those at that palace? Man, they're fantastic. I would have been pissed too. All right, swings it over to my number two. As mentioned, I did have uh, Gaston there at number two. Instead, I am going to fill in one from the wonderful Kung Fu Panda series. Always has actually good villains. I would say throughout they're pretty good, but I think the highlight comes in at number two, Lord Shen, voiced by Gary Oldman in Kung Fu Panda 2. And it's funny because Gary Oldman, I think, really has fun with the character. He's this... uh, it's a weird bird. It's almost like a peacock, but it's not a peacock. It's like a throw it in the uh, fish tank. The actual bird that that he is, uh, Phil. And of course, he he trains the the whole time on exactly um, you know how how he can become you know the most powerful uh, kung fu animal animal yeah. if you if you believe in this stuff. And it's a, a complete riot. But, oh, I believe in it, right? But of course, uh, Poe, you know, he has his way with him. Kicks his ass. Yeah. But if you haven't seen all the Kung Fu Pandas, I do recommend them. They're good f- films. Surprisingly good. And, the, and the, the emotional stakes keep getting higher and higher. It's, it's been a good series. I agree. Yeah, nice very pick. Into our number ones. Here we go. All right. Well, Matt scooped me a little bit because he, he pulled Maleficent out. That is oh, my sorry. favorite Disney film ever. Uh, and she's by far my favorite villain. But She's badass. Yeah. If that's the case, I'm going to swap it, and I hope I don't scoop one of you guys by doing it, but I'm going to throw out Scar. Scar's huge. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad uh, this came up. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Let's just throw it out there. He has the best villain song out of any Disney film, right? Be prepared. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying it is. That gets my vote. <laughs> I mean, Gaston's is pretty damn catchy. <laughs> it's pretty good, but it doesn't have, you know, goose-stepping hyenas and the humor that Scar brings to it. He just relishes being a villain, and I think that's kind of consistent on my list is that I like all the villains that really enjoy what they're doing mm. and scar just loves every second of making this plan and going through it and, and being a evil evil human or evil evil lion mm-hmm. i guess i almost said human being that doesn't make any <laughs> sense but uh man yeah you excited for the live action i can't do those live action yeah. remakes I'm, right. I'm never really that interested in seeing them so aladdin was okay was it okay. yeah yeah, yeah, and and I just revisited the uh, the animated classic over the weekend with my mm-hmm. kids because I was like, we're gonna watch Aladdin. They're doing it as the school play next year with with my older kid. He likes to be in the plays, so we have to watch him. Right. But I'm like, you gotta watch the animated one first. So we sat down and uh, yeah, I don't know how well it holds up. I gotta Did, be honest. Do you honest. own that on uh, DVD? No, we rented it. Rented it. Yeah, okay. yeah. We went to an actual video store. Really? Got a that DVD? Exists? They exist. Yes. Family video. It was a family video. Yeah, they're still around the only ones, yeah. They're still around. Yeah, yeah. this was in, you know, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Nice. So, yeah. Matt, you're number one. All right. Guys, one of the most diabolical characters uh, of the last 10 years, I would say, does, does find an ounce of redemption toward the end of the film. But I think everything he does leading up to that, trying to take over, even destroy the world, also voiced by Will Ferrell, President Business. You can call him Lord Business from the Lego movie. Just weak. Weak? <laughs> Are you serious? For your number one? Wow. What a joke. Here's the thing, Ryan. This I think is you not forget. a good pick, Matt. I rewatched it. I researched this meticulously. Oh, wow. And I rewatched all of Lord Business's highlights, okay? 
and he's a, a, a sicko, man. I mean, he tortures them with with the crazy glue and and the the band aid and stuff. You got to rewatch it. It's actually really really poignant. And I forgot just how amazing the Lego Movie was and the scene where Emmett confronts Lord Business at the end, and he's got him craggled to the ground, and it looks like it's lights out for Emmett. And then the real Will Ferrell comes in and has that confrontation with his son. I'm just watching this on YouTube, completely out of context, and damn it if I didn't get teared up again watching this just on YouTube. It's that good. It's I'm not, I'm not going to knock the Lego movie. Wow. I like the Lego movie too, but I mean, he starts off saying one of the best villains in the last 10 years, and oh my God, where's he going? I might have oversold it a little so bit. Then I, and then he says, well, Farrell is the, the Lego villain. Dude, Ugh. it's really good. It's really good. And he's, he's, he actually like kills people in the first five minutes of the movie. And the, and the characters that he's after are your beloved favorites, like Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He's terrible. Hmm. All right, let, let me let me go classic with a, a number one. I wanted to go with one big classic pick. You guys all got to go and get your old Disney one, so I went with one as well. Is he also a big cat? No, okay. not a big cat. <laughs> Although that would have been another good yeah, choice. Yeah, yeah. Yes, like... but if you look into a mirror, you may see the evil queen from Snow White as the number one villain of all time. All right. And I'll say why this one sticks with me. Probably the part that always scared me the most and doing research for this, uh, other people I saw mention this, was when she actually turns into that old hag that actually gives her the uh, apple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That part is it's just still scary to me. Yeah. It, it, it's just old-looking animation that just stuck and just absorbed into my brain, and now it's just like creepy to me and scary and evil, and there's something about that character that still resonates that for me. So, Here's the thing. That's a terrible disguise. Like, if you want somebody to trust you and, and accept food from you. <laughs> I agree. You're going to go with that old hag? Right. I mean, because the, the evil queen, she's not like a looker or anything, but she's not a crone. She could have just put on a blonde wig or something. and A pair of sunglasses? Yeah, plus she had magic. I mean, why, why that disgusting old hag? Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, why would you get a piece of fruit from her? But, hmm. but Snow White was trusting. Yeah. My number one, the evil queen from Snow White. Uh, it's a, it's quick, a good one. Quick it's honorable mentions here that were not uh, discussed. Matt? Shere Khan. I mean, we have to mention Shere Khan. And, and I don't know. I think it's a toss-up between Scar and Shere Khan. Shere Khan was first. And it's true. there's a little bit more menace to him. I don't think Scar's is powerful. But Shere Khan is right. the most powerful. Oh, yeah. So I think that makes him, yeah. he's like sort of the Darth Vader of his See, universe. That's kind of Scar's thing, right? He's, he's not a strong figure physically, so he had to use his brain. Right. But, you know, I might be conflating the, the Jungle Book remake, but I think Shere Khan actually has a lot of uh, backstory that's, that makes him understandable, right? It makes him compelling. There's been a couple now. Yeah, he actually has a, a really solid theory for why he's doing what he's doing. Like, he's, he's afraid of man for good reasons. And so he can't stand to have Mowgli around. You can you can kind of empathize with him, even though you don't want to. Yeah, those are some of the best villains. Uh, we did also, speaking of Toy Story, we did not mention Lotso. Mm-hmm. From the, Toy Story 3. Oof. He's a bad, bad <laughs> yes. person. Like, there's no redeeming quality whatsoever. <laughs> He's just an evil toy. Um, I, 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 did you see Tangled? Yes. So mm-hmm. the uh, mother Gothel in Tangled, who's actually using the hair... Uh, this growing hair from uh, what's her name? 
Rapunzel. Rapunzel. That to use to keep her her young beauty, you know, mm-hmm. uh, very evil and keeps her locked up there. And then uh, a film we don't talk about enough on the show, Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes, uh, has a couple of really interesting looking villains on screen. Love how that movie just the aesthetic of it all. But the Moon King at the end is just a, a pretty cool villain. I agree. That's a good one, man. I I, I thought about that one. Right when we mentioned that, and then I forgot to put it on my list. Well done, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Anything else from you, Tim? Uh, we might give a little shout-out to Jermaine Clement in, in uh, Moana, just for that shiny <sighs> song that gets in, stuck in everybody's head as soon as you hear it. <laughs> my kids would have been so sad if that didn't pop up on this list. They're both obsessed with Moana. Mm. Tamatoa is the name of the character. Okay. The, the shiny crab. Uh, yeah, I just know him as the crab with the gold on him. And you said earlier that uh, who had the best song? It's definitely Scar. No, it's still Scar. No, it's Tamatoa, man. <laughs> no Shiny. Way. Yeah, dude, it's Jermaine Clement singing it. That is an awesome Jeremy song. Jeremy Irons singing Be Prepared. Ah, touche. <sighs> this is going to be a poll <laughs> on, on Instagram. We'll find out. I love I it. I want to see the results of that. Me too. Yes. Me too. All right. If we missed your favorite animated villain and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet at CinemaJaw. Or you can always email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. What we're going to do is take a break. When we come back... Obviously, I already gave you the worst movie of the year. So you know we you are getting a, a, a four-jaw review possibly here. Possibly. Hold on to your hats. Plus trivia, Tim versus Matt in Buzz and Woody movie trivia. We'll be right back on Cinema Jaw. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Cinema Jaw celebrates Tilda Swinton month with this clip from Constantine, in which she meets Cinema Jaw's last monthly theme alumni, Keanu Reeves. Your ego is astounding. Gabriel figures and the wicked shall inherit the earth. You judging me now, John? Betrayal, murder, genocide? Call me provincial. I'm simply seeking to inspire mankind to all that was intended. By handing Earth over to the son of the devil? Help me here. (laughs) You're handed this precious gift, right? Each one of you granted redemption from the creator. Murderers, rapists, and molesters. All of you, you just have to repent. And God takes you into his bosom. In all the worlds, in all the universe, no other creature can make such a boast, save man. It's not fair. If sweet, sweet God loves you so, then I'll make you worthy of his love. I've been watching you for a long time. It's only in the face of horror that you truly find your nobler self. And you can be so noble. So, I'll bring you pain. I'll bring you horror. So that you may rise above it. that those of you who survive this reign of hell on earth will be worthy of God's love. Gabriel, you're insane. 
The road to salvation begins tonight. Right now. Hey Jawheads, it's Matt Kay with a quick update and a sincere and heartfelt thank you to all of the patrons who support us on Patreon. We're going to be using some of your support to help us get some new equipment to step up our video game on social media. So be on the lookout for that and know that that is directly because of your support. If you're not already there, join us at patreon.com backslash cinemajaw. You can unlock secret archives extra reviews, bonus content, even some cool swag. It's a lot of fun, and for just as little as a dollar a month, you can get all that and more. So check it out one more time. It is patreon.com backslash cinemajaw. We thank you in advance, and for those of you who are already there, thank you. And we are back on Cinemajaw, hanging out with filmmaker Tim Troy, whose new movie, Abby, is uh, hitting the festival circuit. Uh, your other two short films, Hold My Horse and Ding Dong. Yes. Uh, great titles for these short films, you. right? You got Abby, Hold My Horse, and Ding Dong. Um, but on a realistic note here, question, when, when you come up with the idea for mm-hmm. a short film, um, from the time you come up with the idea until you actually uh, write it, usually how long, or do you already have an idea this is about a 15-minute film or a five-minute film? It, it kind of all depends, but, I mean, when I have the idea for it, I have a general sense of how long it, it should be, um, I think. You know, sometimes they surprise you, but, uh, like, with Ding Dong, I had the idea, and I wrote it down, and it was it was pretty much the first draft that we shot, and I wrote that first draft in an hour, maybe, because the movie's wow. four minutes long, and the script for it is literally one page. There's no dialogue. There's It's just a, a woman alone in a house, and creepy things are happening but it's short and straight to the point and so I was able to jam that out really fast and that's kind of the, the best way that I I work when I'm writing like if I know that I can get through a script fast I know I'm onto something it's when I start stumbling that I'm like well I don't know exactly where this is going and it, it you can't quite find it um, but when you get that that burst of speed and get it all out in one shot that's when you know you have something that's it's interesting. It's yeah. a nice thing about writing shorts because you can write a short in a day. You, you, there's no way you can do a feature like that. You can do a treatment maybe, but never a whole thing. Have you written features? Uh, I just finished the first feature that I am happy to say that I wrote. You know, I wrote one in high school, but yeah. And um, how many how many pages? I'm, I'm curious. I'm actually writing uh, a little myself right now. Yeah, it's uh, I think it was 85, and then by the time I'm done with the second draft, it'll probably pick up a couple more. And, and how long did it take you to write? Well, I write usually while I'm on set in between takes and on setups, so depends on how you want to measure it, but about eight months. Hmm. Yeah. If I was sitting there straight through, it'd probably be a few weeks, but I just haven't had that opportunity to actually sit down and write like that. So. You mentioned uh, while we were off the, uh, the air, you wanted to clarify the spelling of Abby. Oh, yeah. Abby. Uh, Abby is spelled A-B-I, just in case anybody's trying to find it, so... Yeah. And again, we'll have it right at the bottom, at least the trailer uh, yeah. in this post, so... Awesome. Uh, before we get to our, our second review here, and before we get to some trivia, we did throw quite a few items into the fish tank. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment! 
Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a Sicilian message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Hey guys, it's good to be out. Uh, good to get a breather because there there is uh, a lot of stuff in here. Uh, most of it actually pretty interesting too. Uh, so let's start with the first one that was thrown in here. When is the Windy City Film Festival? Uh, so for everyone in Chicago or in the Midwest, that festival will be going on from July 18th through July 21st. So it starts on a Thursday, ends on a Sunday. Um, I did not see that you could buy tickets yet for it, uh, but be on the lookout. We have that uh, their website linked in there as well, so that way you can see Abby and <clears throat> get, get out to that fest. Um, when did Megamind and uh, Despicable Me come out? So Megamind came out November 5th, 2010, and Despicable Me came out July 9th of that same year. Just, mm. a, just a few months yeah. to beat it by. It definitely had that syndrome that we were talking about, Armageddon Deep Impact. Oh, syndrome. Yeah. That's another great animated villain. That's mm. one we missed, yeah. From uh, The Incredibles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good one. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to step on you there, right? <laughs> My bad. Um, did Don Bluth work on Black Cauldron, and when did Black Cauldron come out? This one, super interesting. Uh, I'll start by saying that the Black Cauldron came out on July 24th, 1985. So it was in the middle of the 80s. And that was six years after Don Bluth left Disney. Uh, and when I was digging up on it, the the theory or the hypothesis is that The Black Cauldron was in in some ways sort of a, a film made in spite of Don Bluth leaving. Uh, it was the, the first feature film that they started producing after Don Bluth had left. And Disney as a studio was in a position where they not only did they lose one of their best guys, but with him were many other of the staff members that have been making these great films for him. Uh, and so they were kind of in a, a, a between a rock and a hard place, and they were really just throwing as much at the wall and seeing what stuck. Uh, and they were having a lot of people who were kind of cutting their teeth, trying out new things, and the result was this uncharacteristically dark uh, and interesting Disney film. Uh, mm. So that was, the, that was very interesting to look up. Uh, and then, what kind of bird is Lord Shen from Kung Fu Panda 2? The exact technical species is a white peafowl, and that is a subcategory of the Indian peafowl. <laughs> a peafowl. A peafowl is a peacock. Yes. That's what I learned, is that the males are peacocks and the females are peahens. Wow, interesting. You didn't know that, right? No. Yeah. I didn't. I worked at a zoo, and I didn't know that. <laughs> of course you worked at a zoo. <laughs> Um, Learning new things. Yeah. Hey, before we close that fish tank, um, there was this came in a couple weeks ago, but I, I we we don't talk about much television shows here. Obviously, being a movie podcast, but we had done on episode four twenty three. It was our favorite friendships in films, and of course, we brought up Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, and uh, we were gloating about how much we like those uh, two, their chemistry on screen, and. Uh, Long-time listener here, uh, Dion Anderson, wrote in. He said, hey, guys, you mentioned how much you like Nick Frost, Simon Pegg films, but I don't know if you guys are aware that their TV show, Spaced, the one that started it all, is now available on Amazon Prime. It's streaming um, the entire series. Keep up the good work, Dion. I, I don't know. I've never watched oh, Spaced. I have. I don't, oh, you guys have? I have, yeah. This is news to me. I've never seen it. I've seen uh, some of it. I haven't finished it yet. But It's, it's, it's like a... Sp- sort of a, a sci-fi spoof hmm. it's good does it get sci-fi at some point i guess i haven't gotten that deep into it yeah i yeah. think so man it's been a long time since i've yeah. seen isn't it isn't space the apartment one yeah oh maybe i'm thinking of something else matt's completely off 
I've seen space, but that's how long ago. I mean, like, phew, completely messed that one up. You're totally spaced out. Yeah. Well, hey, fits. Yep. Was that everything in the uh, the job box? That's all we got. All right, get back in there. Will do. Matt. Yeah. You saw something special. <clears throat> I did. Amidst the bombast of giant monsters and superhero finales that is the summer blockbuster season, first-time director Joe Talbot drops his rather quiet-by-comparison Sundance darling, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Is it a love letter to the city? Is it a critique on gentrification? Is it about race, letting go, holding on, gangs, friends, art, skateboarding? Is it all of those things and more? I stole a ride on a cable car to the theater to find out. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? We could throw parties. You could put on one of your plays. We could yell. It is this house. Our house. That's not your old house, and that's not your neighborhood. The Last Black Man in San Francisco is my favorite film of 2019 so far. And I would go as far as to bet that once you see it, Ryan, you may even agree. If Wes Anderson was a black skate punk from the West Coast, this is the movie he would make. Call it Rushmore meets Minding the Gap, if you will. But to sum it up thusly, even though most films would gush at such a compliment is to vastly underestimate this movie. The film opens with Jimmy and his best friend Mont waiting for a bus as they watch their neighborhood being cleaned up by white guys in hazmat suits, and they listen to a street pe preacher beg for attention to that matter. We soon discover that the pair are trying to reclaim the house built by Jimmy's grandfather, launching them on a poignant odyssey that connects them to their past even as it tests their friendship and sense of belonging in the place they call home. For sure, gentrification is a central issue to the movie, but hard to say if it's the main theme. There is just so much nuance and subtlety crammed into this two-hour film that every frame and character seems to vibrate with life, deeper meaning, and hidden depths. I mentioned race, letting go, holding on, gangs, friends, art, skateboarding, also parental neglect, mental health, elder care, introversion, family, social media, loss, all of these themes and more simply ooze from this dense yet somehow breezy film. I mentioned every frame. Every frame is also a poster-worthy still. There are beautiful yet vapid movies like Dunkirk, and there are ugly yet poignant movies as well. The Last Black Man in San Francisco manages to balance both things equally. Every shot is a masterpiece, and every set, every landscape, every exterior meticulously manicured to perfection. San Francisco breathes in this film. It actually pulsates. Both main performances were superb, and the supporting cast was also fantastic. Hell, even the cameos are the best I've seen, perhaps ever. Even the damn cameos are so brilliant and meaningful if you understand who is on screen and why. You can never go home, Rye, but you can go out and find The Last Black Man in San Francisco right now. I can't wait to talk about this film again come Oscar season. Wow. Wow. I love when we get a wallop of a review from Matt Kay. 
And this was one. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear because I, I mean, we, we uh, I know we had Pat McDonald on the show doing our summer movie preview, and this was brought up on the show. Mm-hmm. Highly anticipated. I couldn't quite make the, the press screening, and I was upset because I'm anticipating this one being it this good. And so to hear this, that it's not just about gentrification, which no. I thought this is going to be, that's the main theme of the movie. Same. So to hear that it has so much more to offer that you're, now I'm, I'm standing up. I'm, I'm that excited. I'm going to stand on the desk. I mean, listen, the gentrification is a big part of the movie and a big part of the, um, the inspiration for the movie because this is somewhat autobiographical. Like uh, the main character, Jimmy Fails, is actually the actor's real name, Jimmy Fails, and, and he wrote this with, with Joe. And really quick, before make that point, uh-huh. I even thought at the time, doing the research early on when I had heard this movie was coming out or something, I like to keep my distance from these. Mm-hmm. I was under the impression it might even be somewhat of like a documentary slash... Uh, no. Near, but it's it's complete fiction. Complete, well, I wouldn't Not say... fiction, f- you're right. Narrative. Narrative, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, dude, you will love this movie. Any fan of, of Wes Anderson, and like I said... That's a great comparison. Like, like any filmmaker would love to say, your movie's like very Wes Anderson-like, um, and you pulled it off. I, I would, I would go as far as to say it's better than than a Wes Anderson movie. It, it just, I don't know how he he manages to to balance so much in this movie, but he does. And there's so much meaning that I'm sure I missed eighty percent of it. Like, I, I I can't wait to go back and and watch this again because it's just thick. It's so thick, but yet doesn't feel like overpowering at the same time. It's, it's a great movie. Oh, got me really excited here. Uh, let, let's break it down a little bit further. Favorite scene or element in the movie? Yeah, yeah. There's there's the scene. I mean, listen, I, I really I can't stress this enough. Like some of the shots of him skateboarding down the hills in San Francisco are just amazing uh, and beautiful. But there's a scene where a Segway tour comes by his house, which sort of at that moment... Um, really um, hits the gentrification theme pretty hard. But it's also a cameo. And I'm sure a lot of people, even in my press screening, had no idea. In fact, I spoke to another critic on the way out, and I was like, how about that cameo? And I don't even want to spoil who it is, but the, the leader of the, um, uh, the, the Segway tour is, is just an, an outspoken individual, uh, very well-known San Franciscan, and it's... Amazing. I, when I saw that cameo, I'm like, this movie is my favorite of the year. <laughs> awesome. Uh, how about a, a, any trouble or a, a bad None. scene? No. Nothing? No. Seriously, this is a perfect movie. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Influences here, Matt K? Um, well, I mentioned the, the influences is very Wes Anderson. I mean, a lot of Rushmore in there. You know, he's connected to this house, this place that is more than the boards that make it up. It, it, it holds a deeper meaning for, for Jimmy. And uh, there's a lot of that quirky characters. It, it's it deals, his Rushmore. It's his Rushmore. <laughs> and it deals a lot with, the, with his family and the failings thereof and, and, and triumphs thereof as well. And it, it has just a feel of, of Anderson in it. Mm. But again, I, I think it's a bit more. What did you learn? That stories can be this thick. I mean, I had no idea... You could layer this much on a two-hour movie and not have it become overwhelmed or top-heavy. It just doesn't. It, like, it, it moves from point A to point B. It, it even meanders at times. 
but yet still manages to pack so much in. And there's laughs along the way, too. There's laughs. There's cries. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on in this movie. Movie poster quote? Best movie of the year so far. You'll leave your heart in San Francisco. How many Jaws? Four Jaws. Wow, let's get I'd a bell give, for that one. I'd give it five if I could. I, I really don't know if anything is going to be able to top this movie this year. I'm very excited. It opens, uh, it's opening here this weekend. So if you're listening uh, in Chicago and, and other large cities, and then I believe the 21st uh, opens wide. So yeah. keep an eye open for this one. I would encourage Jawheads, if you live kind of far away from the theater where you might catch this, this one's worth a drive. Go out and see this one as soon as you can. It's fantastic. Gets me excited for cinema. Some glowing praise. Yep. Yeah, I, I really hope this isn't the, the one that Rye sees. I don't know what you were talking about. It's a pile. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I think I'm going to be really excited. I just hope so. I didn't overhype it for you. No, so. no, I'm pumped. Right. I'm pumped. All right. Brings us to trivia. Got to end it on uh, some fun here, Matt. Okay. In honor of Toy Story, we are playing Woody and Buzz movie trivia. Tim, you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first. Let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you get one trip into the fish tank for Phil, me, and Phil. I think I'll let Matt go first. Question number one, over to Matt K. Matt, Corey Stoll played Buzz Aldrin, and Ryan Gosling played Neil Armstrong in this NASA drama from last year. Um, I, all these space movies, it's like Moonshot or uh, Over the Moon or First Man. One to nothing, Matt Kay. See, Buzz Aldrin involved in the I, question. I, I, I get it, yeah. Uh, question two, over to Tim. Tim, this actor played Ed Wood in the 1994 film, Ed Wood. Uh, it was Johnny Depp, wasn't it? Easy ones are out of the way. One That's, to one. I see what you're doing now. All right, yeah, yeah now, Buzz and Woody. Yes, all right, Buzz and Woody movie trivia. I thought you were going to like say you got buzzed and got a Woody, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Question three over to Matt K. Matt, name the 2014 musical that starred Emily Blunt, Anna Kendrick, James Corden, and Meryl Streep. What year? 2014. Anna Kendrick, huh? Anna Kendrick, Emily Blunt, James Corden, and Meryl Streep. Into the Woods. Two to one, Matt Kay. Question four jumps over to Tim. Name the film that starred Jake Gyllenhaal, Tony Collette, John Malkovich. It was set in the world of contemporary art, and it came out this year. It was Buzzsaw, right? Velvet Buzzsaw. There we go. There we go. Velvet Buzzsaw. Two to two. Question five over to Matt. Matt K. Name the actor who appears in the movies Contact, Casino, Videodrome, and Once Upon a Time in America. I'm guessing it's not Don Rickles. Oh, man. Contact, mm -hmm. Casino, Videodrome, and Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, I mean, De Niro? Incorrect. We are playing Buzz and Woody movie trivia. 
You got a chance for a steal here, Tim. Tim, name the actor who appears in the movies Contact, Casino, Videodrome, and Once Upon a Time in America. Well, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in America, but I think it's James Woods. Wow, big shift here. Tim takes the lead three to two, and question six is Oof. over to him. Tim, name the actress who was in the Divergent series, Adrift, and The Spectacular Now. This isn't fair. He worked on Divergent. <laughs> I was only on the rigging crew. I wasn't there for any of the shooting. Uh, was it Shane Wood Shailene Woodley? Can I pronounce it poorly like that? There we go. Wow, it is four to two. What a swing. What a swing we have. Question seven over to Matt. Matt, Elijah Wood stars in one movie with Jim Carrey. It came out in 2004. Name it. Fill me in, Phil. Whoa, into the fish tank we go. Phil, Elijah Wood, and Jim Carrey in what movie? All right, Matt, your clue this week. Hopefully this clue will jog your memory and open your mind. Wow, if that clue doesn't just spell it out. I'm just trying to think of Jim Carrey movies, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's probably where you are going wrong. Um, oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Elijah Wood was in that? Absolutely, yes. I don't he's remember the, that. Uh, he's the buddy that worked, the other technician, right? Right, that yeah. works with uh, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time. i got to revisit oh, that. One of the greats. All right, it is four to three. Last question of the game. He can win it on a walk-off right here or maybe give Matt a chance at a tie. Last question to you, Tim. Buzz Lightyear himself, Tim Allen, starred in one movie with John Travolta. It came out in 2007. Name it. And you do have a lifeline if you need it. Tim Allen was in a movie with John Travolta. I'm going to the fish tank. Wow. Back-to-back fish tanks we go. Phil, John Travolta, Tim Allen, in what? All righty, Tim, your clue this week. It's another way to say pigs that are not domesticated. Wild hogs? There it is. A winner for Tim with wild hogs. <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed to say I knew that one. <laughs> I, I'm... Proud to say that I haven't seen it. I just know it. I watched it with my mom. Oh, right, That's right. Allowed. Yeah. Five to three. Tim wins this one. Can I get a handshake yeah, yeah. here in oh, the yeah. studio? Beautiful. Look at that. Even standing up. Well what played, gentlemen. Well done, what sir. Gentlemen. Well done. Uh, if it came down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question would have been over to Tim. Better toy. What are your buzz? I go old school. I'm, I, I like the old school toy, so I'm Woody. Incorrect. It is Buzz. Buzz Lightyear is, <laughs> is the right answer. He's got the action. Yeah. The wings pop out. <laughs> he doesn't know how to fall with style. That's true. All right. The real jawbreaker was this. Age of John Travolta closest to. Matt, do you got a guess for Johnny? And this is his Earth years. Yeah, I would say he is just about to turn 60. He's not there yet. I will say he's 59. Lock him in at 59. Tim, do you got a guess? Uh, I'm going to say 63. Give that one to Tim. 
65 for John Travolta. Wow. Turned 65 in February of this year. I was thinking Saturday Night Fever, right? It was 77. Yeah. And he had to be at least like 25 in it. I was thinking he was younger, so that was, I was like, he, he was probably like 20, 21. And then I thought about Greece when he's like 30 years old playing 18. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good times. Indeed, indeed. Brings us to the end of a great jaw. First and foremost, we got to thank Tim Troy for coming on. Uh, great meeting you and great jawing with you. Thank you for having me. This was a great, this was a lot of fun. Cool, man. And good luck with all your films. Thank you very much. Keep making them. Yeah. Uh, we also got to thank the man inside the fish tank over there, Phil Me and Phil. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, as always, I'll plug my Twitch stream, uh, P-Chan Art. I draw every week. Uh, it's always great having you guys along, and I love getting to know you guys better. Do it. Check out Phil's Twitch stream, everybody. For sure. We also got to thank our sponsors, Matt. Yes. Thanks to Overcast and to the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us get cool sponsors like them. If you would like to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Yeah, seriously. Leave a new review. It's been a while. I'd like to see some some new feedback. Even if it's not incredibly <gasps> positive, just be honest. Uh, and while you're there, click subscribe. It's one extra button, and it really does help us out quite a bit. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.